I really like what Sanders did. I really like that he brought the conversation more to the left. I don't think that Elizabeth Warren would be looking like she just came from the Hillary Clinton slumber party. Right, right. In matching outfits with her on stage. Like, they seriously look like they were going to, like, dry hump. (laughs) (laughs) It was true. From First Look Media and Panoply, this is Politically Reactive. I'm Hari Kondabolu. And I'm Debbie Kamal Bell, a show where two comedians try to make sense of politics in America. It's like the political version of Game of Thrones, except not like that, really. I've never seen Game of Thrones, but people seem to like it. On today's show, we'll be talking with the legendary Kathleen Hanna. She currently leads the band The Julie Ruin, and before that, La Tigre. And of course, in the 90s, she was fronting the band Bikini Kill, helping to create the right girl punk movement. Not to mention that she's also credited as one of the founders of third-wave feminism. And rather than trying to mansplain that, we'll just ask her about it. Also, she's my friend. Clearly her most important credit. We're going to talk to Kathleen about the current presidential election. Maybe we'll find out if she's with her or the other her or that weird governor him. And how does she feel about feminist icons like Gloria Steinem and Madeleine Albright suggesting that women have some kind of obligation to support Hillary? You have to help. Hillary Clinton will always be there for you. And just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. We'll also be talking about our friendship. We'll unpack all that and more on Politically Reactive. Hey, it's been a good couple of shows, Kamal. The people like it. I'm not going to say I'm surprised, but I'm kind of surprised. Uh, if only people could see the the, the uh, text messages I got from you over the last week or so. It's very clear that you're not used to success. I was just kind of like, what? People like this? It's ranked already. It's ranked? <laughs> people are listening to a podcast I put out? What? I don't understand. Is, well, because Ashok, my, my brother Ashok and I used to have a podcast together that was really poorly done. And it never ranked, and I just assumed that I guess I'm not good at podcasting because, you know, I just assumed people would just find it. And apparently if you promote a podcast, yes. if you, if you uh, release put a lot it, of work into it. If you release it regularly instead of you and Ashok's podcast, which is like every, every now three and again. To eight months. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, just, and, like a bro- uh, just like broken clockwork. Right. <laughs> well, if, and if the, the production values are very high, people – Get very excited about yeah, things, yeah. and apparently we're a very good team, or yeah. so we are told on the internet. Yeah, which we, which we knew already, but now people get to uh, get to hear it uh, for themselves. And we should say this is we're recording this after the Fourth of July, so I hope you uh, enjoyed your holiday, however you chose to to, uh, to spend it. Yes, patriotism, capitalism, happy. I was trying to steer clear of any sort of Independence Day allusions there, but you just took it right there, didn't you? Yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yeah, but seriously, we have we we are excited to hear people excited to listen to the podcast. Twitter, we've gotten some tweets about the podcast. Our 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 favorite tweet of the week, Hari. This is from uh, Jen Wang at Geniverse A B R. Listening to at W Kamau Bell and at Hari Kundabolu's hashtag politically reactive equals best remedy after dealing with privileged white geek boys. It's good. It's good. The struggle is real. It's good. Racism, privilege, elixir. That's what we do. It's great. By the way, if you're a privileged white geek boy listening to this, it will not fix you 
uh, and turn you not into a privileged white geek boy, that takes a lot longer. Yeah, that's, you actually have to get boots on the ground. You can't just put earbuds in your ear. Right. Like, um, I'm t- hey, I'm not a racist. I'll listen to this podcast with this black guy and this Indian guy, I think. <laughs> it's not going to do it. It's not, not going to do, do it. it. No, this is just the beginning of finding out the, about your privileged white geek boy status. But the, you yes. got to actually, actually get out in the wor- world and do the work. Read uh, some bell hooks. My God, read some bell hooks. <laughs> when are we going to have bell hooks on? I don't know. I'm working on it. Okay. All right. I'm working on it. And also, uh, just to be clear, we don't want to be uh, totally biased here. There are some people out there. <laughs> that joke never is not funny to me, by the way. Uh, yeah, it's hilarious. We'll, I'll be doing that probably every fourth episode. But right. there are some people <laughs> in the world who aren't excited about our podcast and so not excited they weren't excited about the podcast before the podcast even came out. On iTunes, we had seven, count them, seven one-star reviews of our podcast when all that was up was like a minute of the uh, teaser. Our reputation really preceded it. Exactly. So that's, uh, <laughs> that, is incre- that is impressive. Had barely said a word already. This is going to suck. This is, already this, is gonna the, be- this is already the worst. This is the, I, don't, I don't get it. It's like there's nothing there yet. Yeah, there's <laughs> I know I've never liked these guys, so I know I'm never going to like them. So I would just like right. to make it known that I still don't like them, even though I haven't heard this project yet. It, maybe it's going to be different. Most of them have, have no idea who we are. Yeah. It's like, I don't like the look of that black guy and whatever that is. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> That's consistent. And today we're going to have a person on the podcast who knows a lot about being a firebrand for hatred. We have uh, Kathleen Hanna. Oh, so great. Kathleen Hanna is a punk icon, a very famous third-wave feminist. There's a movie about her called The Punk Singer, which is incredible. If you haven't seen it, please see it. She's really modest in this interview, uh, but really she influenced a whole generation of musicians and artists, um, and we're so lucky to have her on this show. Yes, she's incredible, and she has a new album coming out with her band, The Julie Ruin, called Hit Reset. It comes out July 8th, so go pick it up digitally or in the real world. However you get it, just get it. She's a legend. Let's welcome Kathleen Hanna. Yeah, I don't know what's happening with the sound, because I like it's like, you know how it just check, popped check. in that one time? I can hear um, W. Kamal Bell talking to himself. <laughs> <laughs> like, this happened one time before. Kamal, you can do it. You're good enough. <laughs> Don't be nervous. Welcome, Kathleen Hannah, to Politically Reactive. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Thanks, my friend. Like everybody says that. Thanks for having me. Right. <laughs> Whatever. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm very excited that you're here because we have a lot of things to talk about, but I think we should start with the hard stuff. Why are we such good friends? <laughs> I don't know. We never hang out, but it's like we see each other and then we're like... You and I together is awesome. Yeah. And we're like, make a coffee date, and then one of us breaks it. Yeah. We're both really busy. We're I mean, very busy you with comedy, me with, you know, saving the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's <awesome>. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. So uh, if, unless you guys just want to keep talking about your friendship, I would like to welcome Kathleen to the show and also say thank you for Fun. coming. And also, uh, you, you got a new album coming out, right? Yes. It's called Hit Reset, and it comes out July 8th. How does it feel to be in a band like that and La Tigra and uh, compared to a band like Bikini Kill that was so overtly political? I mean, like, what is the feeling on stage? I'm less afraid. I mean, in Bikini Kill, it was like our shows were super, super violent and we had no help, like no managers or people like that or publicists. And we played a lot of clubs that didn't have any security at all. And bowling alleys with like only one exit and um, I actually was just interviewed 
for a magazine by this guy who was at the show we played in West Virginia, and it was like in his basement. Oh my god! And I just remember being like, "There's no fire door." <laughs> um, but yeah, so I feel safer, I guess, at our shows. I feel happier. I feel like I'm. It's less heavy. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's still heavy in moments, and I still really love to hear you know young people say oh god did i just say young people can you please <laughs> take that off the pro tools you know, we'll come do, in there and do it we'll bleep it we'll bleep it <laughs> yeah that's like the worst curse word ever <laughs> well i mean you you like you said right now you the bikini kill was a much more you had to deal with a much more violent concerts and a much more as i heard you saying overtly political music and right now we are this is my segue in an overtly political time so is there a, do you do you ever feel like you like you'd want to go back to that kind of band or do you feel like this you can do what you want to do through the through the Julie Ruin? I feel like part of the reason why Bikini Kill existed was so that women could be in bands that did whatever and talked about our lives and talked about subjective stuff. And I also realized that, you know, in trying to talk about a lot of issues, it's better to go from a subjective point anyway because you can't universalize everything, as I've learned in my old age, um, because I don't speak for everybody. And I did a lot of talking in terms of we in songs and stuff like that. And now a lot of it is, you know, me, you, I. Um, and they're about specific situations that could be read as um, also bigger situations. Like I wrote kind of a funny song called Mr. So-and-so that's about tokenism in general, but I wrote it from the first person because I know I can be somebody else's Mr. So-and-so tokenizing them. Um, but I also got to say all this stuff about being asked to play the festival a week and a day <laughs> before it happens. <laughs> like you're always the last person asked like, Oh, we don't have any women or like in our case, you don't have any gay people. And like, Oh, they'll, they'll check off two boxes. Let's invite them, but we don't have any funding left. So we'll give them like half of what everybody else is getting. And, you know, we'll put them on the dumpster stage and spell their name wrong. Yeah, and... I remember getting invited a, a, a week before Sasquatch started for $500 in no hotel. <laughs> oh, Isn't everybody getting that deal? <laughs> I'm assuming every... What? You have a hotel? What? So you, as we said in our intro, are credited with being one of the uh, inventors, founders, uh, progenitor... That's a word I can't use. Progenitor? Uh, yeah, there you go. Of third wave fem feminism. Yes, I was pregnant for a really long time, <laughs> and then I birthed a baby called Third Wave Feminism. So no, um, I think I was a part of it. I wouldn't say I was like, you know, I don't know how big of a part of it was. I was pretty much in the punk rock music scene, and it was more like, and I, I came from like working at a domestic violence shelter and like doing rape relief phones and you know, reading some feminist books and then getting really into it off campus because we didn't have a great women's studies program at the Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, which everybody thinks we did, but it's it was like yeah. it was like two classes. And which was two more classes than, you know, most other programs in the country, right? No, exactly. And um but I took those and then me and my friends started like we were photographers and so we started meeting by ourselves and like talking about all this great feminist art that was coming out of New York and um, it was also, you know, definitely during the age of AIDS. So we were talking about public art and how you can be political in your art. And every time we brought stuff like that into school, we were just torn mm -hmm. apart. And, you know, we were also 
I realized on the side, you know, we were well, we were running a feminist art gallery, and we were talking about like, you know, oh, this guy followed me down the alley, and I, I wrap a razor blade in a matchbook thing to carry in my pocket, and I was just like, wait, why is this not in our artwork? Like, why is this thing of like, you know, guys pulling over and asking us for directions, and then you find out they're masturbating. And then they pull away and then the next guy pulls up and you're like, I'm not walking over to your car. And they're like, you fucking bitch. And it's like, these were all the issues we started talking about. And it wasn't even like we were like, it wasn't even, it just was natural that we started talking about it. And we started reading feminist books and articles together and sharing them. And then, you know, I think it was some Time Magazine article came out that said, feminism doesn't exist or we're post-feminist society like Ally McBeal is the new cool like <laughs> 90, 90 pound white woman who like you know stands for us all and um I just was like getting into music and I started to be like how do I mix these two things together so that I can go around the country and later around the world and like be like, look, feminism, don't listen to people saying we live in a post-feminist society. We don't. Like me and my friends live in a small town and we're creating like a feminist situation there for ourselves and our friends and other people. And like you can do it too in your town. Like that was a lot of what we were trying to do. For people who who don't know uh, the waves of feminism, do you think you could briefly describe the differences between the different waves? Without offending people who think they know more, a lot more about this I than know. you do. I know. It's like, I'm, I wish I had like my um, feminist history, her story books here. Um, well, it's hard because a lot of people believe there's been like hundreds and hundreds of waves of feminism, like, you know, going back to like before BC or whatever, I mean, to BC. Um and that there's always been like patriarchal kind of takeovers and then like there's always been goddess societies and there's always been all these other things. But in America, I think the way that people pretty much think about it is like getting the vote, um, which was like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony selling out Frederick Douglass, as we all know. <laughs> Hold up, wait a minute. Okay, so I laughed. Because Kathleen said, as everybody knows, and I was like, well, I like to be everybody, but I really didn't know what I was laughing at. So I got to be honest with you. So I looked it up. So apparently, Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony were really good friends, but they had one of the first public battles of who has it worse, black men or white women. That battle has existed publicly to this day. You may remember it from 2008, Barack Obama versus Hillary Clinton. But I think what Kathleen was referring to when she said Susan B. Anthony sold out Frederick Douglass was this dude, George Francis Train. See, Train is credited with swaying Democrats to women's suffrage, even though Train didn't actually think black men should get the vote. Train said, and I quote, Women first and Negro last is my program, yet I'm willing that intelligence should be the test, although some men have more brains in their hands than others in their heads. Apparently, that got a big laugh. George Francis Train like Jeff Dunham, minus the puppets. And then with the second wave in the, like the 70s, people think of Gloria Steinem, Bella Abzug. The 60s anti-war movement and stuff, there were situations that happened where women felt like they were left out of the conversations. And so splinter groups started happening, you know, in the Black Power movement. There were lots of things happening as a result of great things like the anti-war movement and the black power movement. Um, I think 
when bands break up, it's always great because maybe two or three new great bands are going to start. And I feel the same way about political groups is that, you know, when people are like, well, my needs aren't being met by this. So they can break off and use what they've learned to start another group. And that doesn't mean that it has to be like antithetical or hateful towards the group that they left at all. I think that's the way history a lot of times wants to put people in opposition to each other. I mean, is it strange for you coming from like the political background that you come from, like, you know, having radical politics and creating radical art? Is it weird then to like follow a presidential election? Because I've always had that struggle as somebody who like is more interested in the bigger issues and is more interested in the effects, you know, of legislation or policies on people. That's more interesting to me than, generally speaking, than elections, because that just feels like political sports. And I can talk sports, but, you know, if, if I can actually get... Wait, to what depth, sport can you talk? I could talk... Did you know I was a huge sports fan? No. Yeah, yeah. It really obsessed a lot of my fans. But wait, <laughs> what kind of sports? I like basketball, baseball, uh, tennis. I watch a little football, hockey. hockey football? Less. Yeah, I know. I just yeah. had season tickets to the Capitals. What? Really? Yeah, when I was a kid. Wait, the Washington Capitals? Yeah. What? I like, I like to see the fighting. <laughs> um, I was you know, like nine and I was like, get him! Is it just seeing men fight like yeah. on, uh, on skates? I mean, yeah. Kathleen, yeah. you know there's a sport where you can actually just watch fighting. That you don't have oh, to yeah, eat. it's called boxing. Yeah, with all, yeah. The, with yeah. all, the, with all the boring hockey around it. Yeah. Right. But the blades on the feet come out, the potential I there. know. Um, so is it strange for you to like um, have like radical politics and all of a sudden have to follow like an election, a mainstream presidential election? Is that is that is that kind of does it feel strange or does it feel a little boring or or are you in it? Are you sucked? No, into I'm it? totally like, sucked into it. Yeah. I mean, I, I find it fascinating because I don't follow sport. So like I do follow this kind of stuff more. But it's like. I've always looked a lot towards culture because one thing I learned in my days working with um, domestic violence survivors and talking about changing legislation for um, victims of, of domestic violence and rape is that if the judges don't believe – like you can, you can pass legislation saying it's a five-year minimum. If you're like, you've done this three times, mm. you've been caught beating your wife up or your girlfriend or whatever, or your partner three times, and it's completely legitimate and you've gotten the restraining order and you keep going over the restraining order, we can actually put you in jail for five years. It's either five years or nothing. They'll give them nothing because mm. the culture hasn't changed enough where people will are, are willing to enforce it. And we see that in like that, you know, Brock Turner case where it's like, if people the Stanford uh, swimmer uh, who committed rape and was uh, let off uh, because basically well he judge- was he was he raped an unconscious woman behind yeah. a dumpster yeah and um, there were witnesses apparently there were even texts later yeah. that kind of implicated it too yeah yeah and a lot of people lied and said like he had no history with drugs and alcohol and it came out later that was total crap and they gave him six months which is going to probably translate to three months mm-hmm. so. A lot of people have come out being like, oh, that was so wrong. That was so bad after the fact. And it's amazing that this is being talked about. But the fact that it even happened is so super <sighs> nuts to me. But I'm digressing. I forgot what we were talking about. No, I mean, I think I think it's important. I feel like because, like, again, these are like issues that are important. We're talking about day to day things, cultural things. Yeah. How do we shift conversation? 
but also, you know, in this presidential election, there is the first like serious female candidate for president. Um, who? Well, the first se- the first serious female candidate for president for the second time. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, about to win the nomination, um, and certainly there's been a lot of push, like from Gloria Steinem and Madeleine Albright, saying that as a feminist, as a woman, you have to support Hillary Clinton. Um, which you know, if you disagree with some of her policies or views, is does that does that hold? Do you feel like that? Like it's your obligation. To no, it's no, it's people's obligation to vote for whoever they want. It's like I don't know. I think that's part of what I was saying about Bikini Kill being really didactic and you know out there, so that later I didn't have to be and I could be whoever I wanted. I didn't have to stay within that framework of like all I can sing about is you know basically taking like stuff I was reading by you know bell hooks or. Barbara Christensen and like turning it into a song or you know what I mean taking like feminist scholars work and turning I know you're really good friends with bell hooks don't look at me I knew you were gonna say Um, it's true but we were turning a lot of feminist scholars work into songs and also things that we had personally gone through and stuff like that and it's like but we're still people you know what I mean and Mm -hmm. it's like I think that's one of the frustrating things for me right now I'm like doing a lot of press for our record and it's like you know all, I never get asked about my songwriting thing. And I've been like writing songs for 25 years. I have like tons of records out. And it's like, ask me about my lyrics. Ask me about my process. Ask me about, you know, like whatever. Like I want to get asked about that stuff too. Right. But I also like talking about politics. So I'm good with both of them. But I don't think that I should have to vote for a certain person or do anything just because of, you know, my gender. I think that's ridiculous. I hadn't heard that they had said that. I know Gloria made some unfortunate comment about People, women only going with uh, Bernie because that's where the boys were at. Yeah. Hold up. Wait a minute. Okay, so this is the Gloria Steinem clip that Kathleen was talking about. It's, it's kind of not fair to measure most women by the standard of most men because they're going to get more activists as they grow older. And, and when you're young, you're thinking, you know, where are the boys? The boys are with Bernie or, you know, where... So, Harry, what do you uh, think about that clip? I would rather you tell me what you think of the clip. I I don't think I want to do that, Harry. I think you should tell me what you think about uh, one of America's leading feminist voices said. I think you should critique her. Well, first of all, I don't think uh, I, as a man, have the right to critique Gloria Steinem uh, in this public space. And secondly... I am already imagining the hashtag campaign that starts when I do critique her. So no, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Wait a minute, I've already got it. Hashtag Hari Mansplainer. Oh, God, why did you give them that? Are we allowed to mansplain mansplaining? Huh. I don't know. What happens if we mansplain mansplaining? Does that mean we're like the ultimate mansplainers or the ultimate feminists? Oh, no, men can't be the ultimate feminists. Oh, God. Hashtag Hari Kondo Mansplainer rises again. Oh, no. I just mansplain, mansplain, mansplaining. Mansplain, mansplaining. Oh, man. And I was like, that is super unfortunate. I hope she was wasted. Um, (laughs) Like, because that's just, that's so saying that women don't have agency. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of this stuff is, 
when you with like people like Gloria Steinem and for, just taking it off her for a second, it's like eventually everybody gets old. And we talked about this a little bit earlier. We talked about how you refer, we refer to people as young people or the kids. And eventually, <laughs> eventually, you just it's like you it's like you can't be cool enough to defeat being old. Like to sort of like to suddenly yeah. like not being in touch and in step with. And I think sometimes it's amazing when there are old people who aren't who sort of under who still stay in touch and in step. And I'm not trying to in any way you know. It's just and I feel like a little bit that's the ageist. Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like of all the is that's the one I'm most comfortable being. Like, I don't want to be racist or sexist or homophobic-ist, but ageist, I feel like, no, eventually we all get old. Eventually, a song comes on the radio that you're like, huh, is that what we call music now? And that's the point at which I feel like the moment you do that, you should just like, oh, my opinion's probably not valid about a lot of stuff now. Like, I just yeah, like, you know, you have to know what you don't know. Yeah, you're telling me I was over the hill at 19? Exactly, yes, yes. <laughs> Hurry, you've been you've been forty. You're so excited to be forty nine years old someday, and I can't wait till oh, you get that's there. Absolutely, oh, that, that's my uh, ideal age. Yeah, it's the new twelve. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like my mom is one of the coolest people on the planet, and sometimes she gets upset about stuff. I'm like, that's not for you. It's okay. It's you know, I mean, it's just because, and I feel like that's the same thing with this with the uh, with the Hillary thing. Is that it feels like it's it's breaking down around generations of women is what it feels like. I mean, what do you? I'm voting for Hillary. You are voting for Hillary. Yeah. And why? I'm, not, I'm not voting for Trump. That's like right. for sure. Right. I mean, I really like what Sanders did. I really like that he brought the conversation more to the left. I don't think that Elizabeth Warren would be looking like she just came from the Hillary Clinton slumber party. Right, right. In matching outfits with her on stage. Like, they seriously looked like they were going to, like, dry hump. It was true. It was great. I mean, I was loving it. I was like, this is amazing. Um, And I actually went to these early kind of like move on parties and stuff where they were trying to get her to run. Yeah. And I remember I got really disillusioned because they were trying to start a petition to get run, Warren, run. And I was like, she said no. No mm. means no. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she said she doesn't want to. And I'm like, this is really weird. This is supposed to be this political thing. But they're telling this woman they want her to go for this job she doesn't want. Yeah. Like, It's funny. When, when the whole Daily Show host thing, where they're trying to find the new host, people were like, how come Jessica Williams doesn't get it? Jessica Williams should get this. And then she ended up tweeting that, like, it's really nice that you're all doing this. But I don't. You know, it's I don't want I, it. I don't want it. Yeah. And, 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 and I have the basically she was saying that, like, I have the right to do what I want to do and do the things I want to to do with my life. Like it, it was very, uh, I don't know. It was and then, like, it's obvious, but at the same time, it's like, holy crap. Like, and then out of that, some woman wrote a thing about basically Jessica needing, I don't know if she literally used these words, but needing to lean into her power. And oh. that's and that's when Jessica did the thing where she cracked her knuckles and went all in on like, who yes. the hell do you think you are? <laughs> like, And I think a lot of the feminism stuff, and we've talked about around this a little bit, does break down around, uh, white woman feminism versus women of color feminism. Yeah, and a lot of people, whether you want to call it womanism or yeah. like whatever, I think the thing that needs to happen is like people need to get together and listen to each other and be accountable for mistakes of the past, even when they weren't your own. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like we all. I benefit from white privilege, even though like I don't have a slave at home. You know what I mean? It's like, and that whole thing of like, well, that wasn't me. That was like the generation and generation and generation and generation back. And it's like, I think that having accountability, having like the reconciliation stuff that they did in South Africa, like basing some kind of activist work on that um, 
which was predominantly really successful. And it's like, I think that, you know, someone like Beyonce coming out and saying she's a feminist and doing all this stuff that's educating people about black power or just like saying, yes, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like not just educating people, but I do think she has young fans who learn a lot, who are like, wait, what's that about? I know some of it. I'm going to ask my parents or I'm going to go on the internet and I'm going to read about this. And um, I think those are really good things. And that's one of the really big things about this new, I guess, fourth wave of feminism is that one of the big at-the-moment conversations is um, is feminist now commercialized, fetishized, capitalized to this way? Like, is it is it too cool? But my personal take on it is like, you know, I lived in a small town or small towns a lot of my life, and like I wouldn't have heard of feminism if it wasn't for something like now, like – if I saw Beyonce on the VMAs like two years ago or whatever, and I probably would have been like, whoa, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, what's that? And it's like, I just, I don't get the thing of saying that it's so commercial because like we still have these rapes, like this Brock Turner stuff. We still have like, you know, a, a presidential candidate. And this is what scares me is that like so many people voted for Trump. And it scares me that I'm in the grocery store with these people. You know what I mean? Mm. And I'm like, there's a house up in New Jersey we just drove past. that has like tons of Trump signs. And I'm just, I don't even understand, you know? And it's like, it's it just scares me. It scares me that these are my neighbors and that that they could let somebody be so racist, so overtly racist. Mm. His whole immigration thing, like, I'm going to build a wall? I mean, I know you guys talk about this all the time, so it's super boring. But no, it's, no, 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 it's, no, no. It, he's an absurd candidate. Like everything yeah. about him is always going to be interesting. No, I mean the whole thing of like Hillary Clinton went to pee during a thing and came back late. What happened to her? I'm watching the debate, and she disappeared. Where did she go? Where did she go? I know where she went. It's disgusting. I don't want to talk about it. And he's like, that's disgusting. Women urinating, so we should all just hold it for our whole lives, which would be very short because our bladders would explode. Right, like, right. what? He's He, like, talks about women's ugly faces and calls Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. Ugh. It's so deep and hideous. His wife claims to, that he raped her in, a, in her book, his Ivana, ex-wife. His, his first yeah. Wife. yeah, Ivana. Ivana. Hold up. Wait a minute. Okay, let's stop for a second. It wasn't actually Ivana Trump's book. It was a book from 1993 called Lost Tycoon, The Many Lives of Donald J. Trump. Yeah, I fell asleep in the middle of that title, too. Anyway, the book was written by Harry Hurt III. Sounds like a Donald Trump alias, but anyway. The book quotes from a deposition that Ivana gave during her and Trump's divorce in which she reports on a sexual encounter they had as a rape. But then later, through Donald Trump's lawyers, she did say she did not mean rape in the quote-unquote criminal sense. And we're talking about Hillary's emails? No one's, like, bringing that up over and over again. Why? That's, like, totally pretty relevant to me to have, like, a rapist president. Yes. I mean, not like we haven't ever had one, for sure. <laughs> right, right, right. Hashtag, but, but, uh, hashtag no, Thomas t- Jefferson. I know. I mean, I remember when, um, you know, obviously the whole this was years ago. Bill Clinton smoking weed was a controversy. Uh, Barack uh, doing cocaine, mentioning in the book, there was some controversy. This candidate, 
uh, has been accused, I think several times, but in particular by his ex-wife, of rape. Where is that story? Yeah. Well, I to, like, to be... I swear to say, to be fair, I hate to say to be fair, she has since apparently retracted that story. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean, you know, I'm just, I just, I just. Sorry. Yeah, I know. Well, I'll let, I'll let your laugh be the, all the rebuttal we need. So, like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, I guess, so here's my question about, I mean, obviously, the thing, do you think, one, do you think Trump could win? Yes. Mm. I do. And. That's what is terrifying to me because so many things happen like at the last minute. You know what I mean? Where it's like all of a sudden, you know, people were saying like Hillary Clinton murdering babies and like all this different stuff. And it's like I just feel like some weird thing could come out at the last minute that just like, you know. And I do worry that, you know, people like me who are interested in what Bernie had Bernie Sanders had to say and – um you know, coming from a much more progressive left viewpoint that those people will, will feel, including myself, but I've already decided I want to vote for Hillary, will feel alienated and just be like, sit it out. Hmm. And, you know, we got to all participate. What, what you know, you I just... really I really feel strongly like I, I cry when I vote because I'm like, man, my great grandmother wasn't able to do this. You know what I mean? Like, this is something this is a privilege that we have in our country. And um it's really important to me, you know. If Hillary picks Elizabeth Warren as a running mate, like, could they win? I have no idea. It's really weird because I was talking about that song with tokenism, and I was mm. thinking about that. I was like, oh, it's like they need a token white male, like, to be the, the <laughs> yeah. vice president. And they should ask him at the last minute and be like, you're not really going to be able to do anything <laughs> or say anything. You just have to, like, sit there and, like, shake your head while I talk. We'll give you 500 bucks. <laughs> No. <laughs> to be the running mate. No and hotel you can room. Stay at KOAs all across the country while you're doing your lecture. Well, I mean, that's circuit. what that's what I mean. I felt like that's what Brock did with Joe Biden was like you know because at the time they're like maybe Hillary should be his VP or maybe there was more, there was a, nobody yeah. fingered Joe Biden as being the VP nominee. There was lots more exciting choices like Latino nominees and women and da-da. and it ended up being Joe Biden. And it felt like I mean Joe Biden obviously we all know he's a Uncle Joe. Lot good time. Uh, but he was, but it felt like. But a he token was also white pretty guy. bad in the Anita Hill. Uh, yes, yes, that's, and he also at, at that point I was also at the time remembering the fact that he had called Barack Obama clean and articulate while they while because at one point Joe Biden was a candidate and he was talking about how that's why Obama why Obama was doing so well he was clean and articulate. I mean, you got the first sort of mainstream African American who was articulate and bright and. And, and clean, and nice looking guy. I mean, it's that's a storybook, man. Yeah. And so for me, I was like, uh, 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 yeah, <laughs> like, so, yeah, like the the whole assumption that like you're you're black, so you're not. Yeah, that that's special. Right. That, that makes dirty. you special. Yeah, like, that, what? That, this guy actually showers and learned how to speak <laughs> the king's English. So we're actually doing good with this guy. I, and so there was a and racism I, so fucked up that even though he said that he still got to be vice president yes right. for yes, the guy he said yeah. it about yeah yeah and so i mean i felt like you know joe biden was a token white guy and i also don't I know think that Hil- yeah. i think hillary might need one but i sure do hope that she picks elizabeth warren mm. cuz i mean just watching that one you know engagement that they had last night or the night before or something was like pretty incredible the way that Warren got people fired up and their whole rapport together was so amazing. And I was like, you know, I don't know. It just, 
it felt more it felt exciting and it didn't feel like I feel like if she picked Elizabeth Warren it it's not really the right decision like if she wants to be president in this mm. one way like you know but because I'm, I'm not sure the world is ready for a two-woman ticket I have to be honest like I'm ready for it but I don't know if I would like her to have some kind of power or to be um, like the department, the head of the Department of Treasury or, the, right, right. you know, whoever is overlooking like what's going on with big banks, what's going on with like trading and the stock market. Like, I feel like that's where her for, her major um, talent lies. Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit like Batman making Superman his Robin. Hey, wait a minute. I can do more than this. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, it just feels like Elizabeth Warren... I mean, she's so amazing in the Senate. She she holds people accountable. She, you know, is very vocal. And I just worry that as the vice president, could she do that? And also, it seems very strange in, in one way that Hillary would pick somebody who is very critical of her views as her running mate. For uh, Historically, I mean, that's one big reason why Sanders wouldn't have made sense. It's like... Yeah, there was too much, I mean... Too he, much said. And yeah. do you really think if she... If he, if she supports something economically that he doesn't support, that he's going to stay quiet. And I wonder the same about Elizabeth Warren. Like, will she stay quiet when Hillary is proposing legislation that she does not agree with? Because that doesn't feel like Elizabeth Warren. No. But that's why I think she'd make a great vice president, because I think she'd actually do something. Right. And I think, you know, I want... If, but I just, I don't know that much about like what the vice president is allowed to do. That's the thing. The vice president doesn't actually have. I'm so confused about it. Yeah. The vice president doesn't have a lot of power. I mean, you know, Joe Biden's power is in speaking his mind, not in making policy. Like, you know, like Joe Biden was able to go, I'm with marriage equality. And then Barack goes, God damn it. I guess I am too now. (laughs) Like, you know, like that. (laughs) And that's why I feel like Elizabeth Warren, that's not a job I think, you know, nobody. That's not a job she would want, probably. And also, here's my just to sort of segue into something else. Like Donald Trump has already accused of Hillary just by virtue of the fact that she's a woman running for president for playing the woman card. Not that she, <laughs> as if she chose to be a woman running for president. She just chose to run for president, but now because she's a woman. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? First of all, and also about if the thing you're saying about two, if Elizabeth Warren runs, it's the choice maybe that's better for the that we would all like as maybe lefties and liberals, but it's not necessarily a good choice to win the presidency. Is that because I feel like that would really make the playing the woman card thing be an issue or be a, a an issue for people to land on who didn't like the ticket. I just want people to talk about the woman card, like <laughs> the woman card. It's like, okay, you get to probably be raped at least once in your lifetime, maybe twice. You know, you get to have like male violence visited upon your doorstep like zillions of times, whether it's like a crying, tearful friend or your mom admitting something that happened to her in high school. It's like you get to get paid less than men for the same amount of work. Thanks for the woman card. Thanks a lot. You know what I mean? It's like it's not it's not it's like exactly the opposite. Ugh. (laughs) It's just like when people talk about reverse racism or reverse sexism. It doesn't exist and it's not real and it's just like a figment of like people's reality, people's imaginations as a way to like be defensive. Right. You know, and it's like I want to talk about the man card. Mm. (laughs) I want to talk about the rich white man card like and how far that's propelled Trump. You know, and like the creepy stuff with his daughter. Like nobody even cares. I think people are so seriously feel like they're going to barf. 
that they just can't talk about it. I don't think Ivanka would do that inside the magazine, although she does have a very nice figure. I've said that if Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. You know? <laughs> Stop it! Oh, it's so weird! The beautiful girl. She's a beautiful girl. Uh, <laughs> nice impersonation. Have you been working on that all morning? Yeah, all morning. She's <laughs> a beautiful girl. That's, that's, that's You're the no, new number one Trump impersonator. <laughs> it sounds oh, just like my voice, but it's in fact <laughs> Donald Trump. Well, Kathleen, we have. Well, to, thanks for having me. It's super fun. Yeah, we have to let you go. Yeah, thanks for coming by. We really appreciate it. So that was Kathleen Hanna, your friend. Yes, my friend. <laughs> what did we learn today? Um, I think uh, we learned that. If you are a woman, you don't have to vote for Hillary Clinton, but you could vote for Hillary Clinton. <laughs> did we not know that? <laughs> I have a feeling we did know that, okay. actually, okay. Uh, especially the could, since uh, yeah. women have been allowed to vote for quite some time now. Well, I learned that Kathleen Hanna doesn't always agree with Gloria Steinem, and that's okay. I also learned that Kathleen Hanna deals with tokenism like we do. Yes. I learned that Harish should stop negotiating his own prices for gigs and let his agents and managers do it. Yeah, I should, I should, that's probably right. And I learned that Kathleen Hanna and I have to hang out more and not just on the podcast because we're great friends. Are you? Yeah. Are you? She agreed to do the podcast. How else uh, am I going to get Kathleen Hanna to do the podcast? Okay, sure. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. You can expect a new episode every week through the election. And in fact, you remember last week when we released two episodes? Well, we're going to do that on super special weeks like next week. So be on the lookout. If you haven't done so, hit that subscribe button on whatever you're using to listen to our podcast. And, you know, maybe think about leaving us a nice little review. It's a super helpful way to help spread the word about shows like ours. And if you really like supporting me and Hari, then support some of our other projects. Hari has a new album out soon on Kill Rockstars called Mainstream American Comic. You can pre-order it right now at killrockstars.com. And I've got two other podcasts. One, Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. And also, I've got a live radio show and podcast called Come Out Right Now. You can catch that live if you're in the Bay Area next Thursday, July 14th at 7 p.m. West Coast time. Or again, listen to it on a podcast place. Politically Reactive is a production of First Look Media and distributed by Panoply. The team includes Nick Bornstein, Lisa Leingang, Erica Moo, and Max Jacobs. The show is engineered by Ted Muldoon. Thanks to Kathleen Hanna, whose new album, Hit Reset, from her band The Julie Ruin, is out July 8th from Hardly Art. Go pick it up right now. And thanks to Northgate Studios in Berkeley and Argo Studios in New York. And thanks to Brontez Purnell for providing the music for the show. Oh, and also, keep talking about us on Twitter. Just use the hashtag politicallyreactive. I'm W. Kamau Bell. Hari already left. <laughs>